0: Love Talk Radio.
1: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Just another reminder that Mercury will go retrograde tomorrow, August 23rd, and will stay that way until September 14th. And you can read about that on our site or many places online. It's generally not a good time to start something new unless you were born with Mercury retrograde. Tonight Lavendar will present her Atlantis material as there is a direct connection between Atlantis and August Harmonic Convergence of 1987. At that time, a gigantic evolutionary frequency was beamed to Earth which coded star seeds with wake-up codes. And every year since then, a kind of booster shot is repeated for those who weren't yet born in 1987 and for those who are ready for the next level of evolution some of these codes may have been previous previously installed but not yet activated until a planetary alignment occurs to trigger them when the sun is at galactic degree in leo one that's one of those alignments and it will occur um, over these past few days and it was in 1987 that Atlantean technology, including interest in crystals, was allowed to return to the earth, giving us another chance to use it correctly this time, in balance with spiritual wisdom. Crystal shops began popping up, the internet as we know it was being created, and look where we are today, 35 years later. Atlantis was a Pleiadian project, and through her direct contact with them, Lavendar was shown the truth about Atlantis, their accomplishments and problems, so that we might avoid a repeat of history. This information was placed in a vault for safekeeping for decades, and tonight's presentation is Lavendar's Atlantis material from the vault. And because the Atlanteans favored crystals from Arkansas, the heart of the crystal grid for the whole planet, we have been taking starseeds there for our starseed quests since 2012. Our next gathering will be November 17th through the 20th for the Pleiadian lineup quest, and the response has been strong, though we do have a few spots still available. If you have at least one galactic star marking on your natal chart, you are eligible to attend. If you feel the call to come but don't know know if you have the required markings, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com and we'll take a quick look and let you know. Our main site is starseedhotline.com. And if you have a friend that wants to attend with you, we can check their chart as well for those markings. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News bringing topics of interest and hope. That you won't hear elsewhere and just to remind you if you'd like to show your support of our show just click follow on our show page our main website as I said is starseedhotline.com where the stage one starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart and the stage 2 session is a one-on-one zoom session And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of great manifestational power. Find out exactly when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please order that about a week or two before your birthday. But if you want a reading of that chart, please order the Stage 2 live session about two months before your birthday so you can get it in time. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce... Anastasia, with her wonderful Starseed News. Hello, Ariel. Good evening, everybody.
0: Evening hey. now, anyway, depending on when you're listening. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful August day. And uh, tonight we've got a lot of news, so I better just get right down to it. Our first story tonight is about the Moon's South Pole. India's space agency has released latest images of the moon as its third lunar mission starts descending towards the little explored south pole. Now, right here, I want to take a pause. It seems unimaginable that India would send a, a craft to the moon, let alone its third one. This is becoming a worldwide thing here. As I'm sure you've heard about it. But anyway, these pictures were taken by Vikram, which is trans. Chandrayaan-3's uh, lander, and uh, it is now on the last phase of its mission. Vikram, which carries a rover in its belly, is due to land near the South Pole uh, tomorrow. And wouldn't it be great if it photographed Russia's Luna-25 spacecraft that crashed into the moon after it spun into an uncontrolled orbit at the weekend? So we have uh, India, we have Russia, and we have China and maybe others, who are have their intentions toward the moon, including ourselves. Just sort of a, a moon uh, race, as it was back in the 60s. Well, Mars as we know it, as we know it, supposedly is a frigid and lifeless world. But a new study reveals a fresh hint to a much more active past. NASA's Curiosity rover has found an array of medallion-sized hexagonal mud cracks on the surface of Mars' Gale Crater. The distinctive shape of these mud cracks suggests that the red planet was once much balmier than it is now, that it cycled through wet and dry episodes for millions of years. This is according to a new study that's been published in Nature they say that these conditions the wet and dry episodes are theorized to lead to the emergence of life at least to the extent of allowing microscopic life to form Uh, a planetary scientist at the french research institute in astrophysics and planetology says this is quite a unique formation it's the first time we've seen that on mars actually, and it tells us a lot of details on how the climate was working millions and millions of years ago. The rover snapped photographs of the unusual patterns caked onto the ruddy landscapes as it scaled the three-mile-high Mount Sharp in the Gale Crater. That's right, the moon has mountains. These cracks resemble the polygonal formations found in the salt flats on Earth, such as those in Death Valley. If you've ever been to Death Valley, you will recall seeing these formations. They're they're truly unique. Well, since these ridges on Earth formed during periodic wet-dry seasons in our past, the scientists suspect that Mars once had a similar climate to Earth. They say that the recurring bouts of wet and dry conditions could have unlocked the life on Mars, because for life to emerge on a planet, it requires just the right amount of liquid water. Not too much and not too little. And as it turns out, a series of wet and dry spells might be just what life needs. So is there life on Mars? Or was there? Scientists aren't quite ready to answer our questions, but belief, widespread belief, in the possibility that there might be life on Mars is growing. Well, here's a piece about Harrison Ford. I thought this would give you a chuckle. Harrison Ford has had a Peruvian snake species named after him. We you recall Raiders of the Lost Ark? What did he say? I hate snakes. snakes.
1: snakes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the newly discovered species has been named Tachymonidus Harrison Fordy
1: <laughs> to honor
0: the actor's environmental advocacy. The actor, who is the vice chair of the nonprofit group Conservation International, said it was a humbling development. His legendary Indiana Jones character fears snakes, but Ford said he personally likes serpents and found a quick kinship to the one that was named after him. Tachymenon- Tachymenonides Harrison 40. <laughs> there it is. Oh, gosh, the world is crazy. Well, here's a piece about circular water, water that's being recycled. Because San Francisco is now at the forefront of global efforts to recycle wastewater from commercial buildings, homes, and neighborhoods. This follows a 2015 law that required all new buildings of more than 100,000 square feet to have on-site recycling systems There are now 48 circular water systems in operation, and 29 more projects are being planned in the city of San Francisco. That seems very futuristic to me, the way of the future. Well, in Spain, they have discovered a sprawling network of irrigation canals, which they haven't discovered it. They're rediscovering them. These canals were formed by the moors 1,000 years ago, but now they're being excavated and brought back to life. To adapt to climate change over 62 miles of these canals have now been uncovered with many more to come they say that some farmers who are 80 years old or older have been crying because they thought they would never see the water flowing again there's a lot of work underway across the planet to restore uh the earth the uh, the agricultural areas and also the forested areas to their original conditions, sort of undo progress, as it were. Well, now first there was the debate about the pros and cons of organic versus intensive farming. And I will say that organic won by a landslide. But now the focus has moved onto a regenerative versus intensive farming. Regenerative farming, what is that? Well, In short, it's a system of farming principles and practices that seeks to rehabilitate and enhance the entire ecosystem of the farm by placing a heavy premium on soil health with attention also paid to water management, biodiversity, fertilizer use, and more. It's a method of farming that improves the resources that it uses rather than destroying or depleting resources. Now, the really good news is that by embracing regenerative agriculture, we could keep global warming to within within 1.5 centigrade. Now, you just listen to that for a second. It claims right here. The good news is that by embracing regenerative agriculture, we could keep global warming to within 1.5 centigrade. Now, that's according to new research, which touts soil as an overlooked super ally in the race to slash emissions. Listen to this. Like forests, soil locks carbon away, but intensive agriculture can turn this carbon sink into a source of carbon. Pillowing and pillaging dramatically erode erodes soil and release large amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. I didn't know that. Did you, Ariel?
1: No. That's huh. amazing.
0: We're so used to hearing that it's carbon, you know, it's from fossil fuels. Check this out. It's unbelievable. Well, they, all, they say that this can also result in the kind of bare or compacted soil that not only gives us a vitamin-depleted food, but creates a hostile environment for important important soil microbes. Wow. It just makes sure you realize when you think about how much we've messed with the earth. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to CO2. How much of it? How much CO2? And what's the true carbon value of regenerative farming? Well, a U.K.-based soil data firm named Downforce Technologies has calculated the climate benefits of deploying alternative farming methods on half of the world's soil, just half. They said, we calculated that implementing better farming techniques, for example, crop rotation, planting cover crops, and so on, could result in a staggering storage of 31 gigatons of carbon dioxide annually annually, bringing us closer to the 32 gigatons gap required to meet the crucial 1.5 centigrade target. Just by modifying our farming practices over half the world's soil. This is astonishing.
1: We should be hearing
0: this on mainstream news. Not a word. Downforce technologies are not alone in their assessment of the extraordinary power of healthy soil to help save the world. The Rodale Institute estimates that embracing regenerative agriculture could draw 150% of global emissions into the ground every year. 150% of our current global emissions would be pulled into the ground every year. That is astonishing. Wow. That should be part of the discussion that we hear. Um, Wow is right. See, there is hope. Lots of hope and lots of creative ways to arrive at positive change. We're just not hearing about all those creative ways. And back to farming, Pepsi and Walmart are collaborating to help North American farmers adopt regenerative agricultural practices across 2 million acres of farmland over the next seven years. Nestle has also pledged 1 billion euro for regenerative agriculture uh, as well. So they want to... uh, source 50% of ingredients from regenerative agricultural methods by 2030. Nestle wants to take at least 50% of its products, ingredients, from regenerative agricultural methods. Why not 100%? But I guess everything's in stages. Okay. Well, here's sort of an amusing article, except it's sobering, and it it's really makes you think. I want to share with you some famous U.S. media hoaxes Because the problem of fake news isn't exactly a new phenomenon, not at all. In fact, America has a long history of media hoaxing its audience and vice versa. In 1835, the great moon hoax convinced people around the world that the moon wasn't a barren wasteland, but actually a rich landscape full of ruby caverns and towering amethyst crystals populated by intelligent humanoid bat people two-legged badgers, and unicorns. Sounds like a blast. I want to go there. (laughs) Well, while this seems ridiculous in hindsight, everyone from Ivy League students to middle-class professionals were totally hoodwinked by this New York Sun article. Claiming to be a supplement to a serious scientific journal in Scotland, the newspaper played on the era's excitement over a steady stream of revolutionary scientific discoveries. And an increasingly literate audience that was hungry to be in the know. We all want to be in the know. That's kind of our Achilles' heels sometime. Well, why did the newspaper spin such an outlandish yarn? It came down to money. It was a serious money maker for the sun as the story helped boost its circulation to make it the best-selling newspaper in the world. Follow the money. Over a century later, in 1941, a reverse hoax happened on the sports page of the New York Times, where readers were treated to stories about Plainfield Teachers College's undefeated football team. There was only one problem. That school didn't exist. Amusingly, the scores were phoned in by a mischievous Wall Street broker who suspected that the newspaper didn't fact-check the scores. Well, Time magazine eventually discovered the hoax, uh, it ruined people's plans for the uh, particular team to win the game and to appear at a, a game in Atlantic City called the Blackboard Bowl, and that didn't exist either. The whole thing, all of it, the team, the town, the location for the big game, none of it was real, not even the date. Well, half a century later, Prankers had discovered a new way to spread hoaxes, which was the Internet. And this is when fake news has really begun to take off. In 1994, a fake Associated Press story began circulating on the then-new Internet. I remember when the Internet was new in 1994, claiming that Microsoft had submitted a bid to buy the Catholic Church. I even remember that. (laughs) Faced with complaints, both Microsoft and the AP issued statements denying the story. But not all hoaxes are entirely innocent. In 2009, a Colorado couple claimed their six-year-old son floated away in a homemade weather balloon. Remember that story? Media picked it up, and the National Guard dispatched helicopters to attempt a rescue. Why not, of course? But in reality, the incident was just a publicity stunt for the boy's parents, who were scheduled to appear on a reality television show. The balloon boy was safe at home the whole time, hiding in the family's attic. The couple was charged with a felony, given jail time, and forced to pay a $36,000 fine. Well, just goes to show you, it's all fun and games until they send in the choppers.
1: Right.
0: Well, here's a, this is my favorite story, one of my favorite stories ever. In a heartwarming incident that highlights the power of compassion and human connection, a woman's selfless act of kindness saved the life of a struggling homeless man. Her name is Casey, and she was in between classes when she stopped at Dunkin' Donuts for coffee. That's where she spotted the homeless man picking up change on the side of the road. Eventually, she watched him as he strolled into Dunkin', counting his change to see what he could buy. She went over kindly to engage him in conversation, and since he only had about a dollar in change, she bought him a coffee and a bagel and asked him to sit down with her. Well, he told her a lot about how people are usually very mean to him because he's homeless, how drugs turned him into the person that he hated. He lost his mom to cancer, he never knew his dad, and he just wants to be someone his mom would be proud of. They talked for about an hour drinking their coffees. this girl, Casey, posted on social media that this lovely man's name was Chris, and Chris was one of the most honest and sincere people I've ever met. Well, after realizing she really needed to get back to class, Chris asked her uh, to wait so he could write something down for her. Handing Casey, the girl, a crumpled up receipt, he apologized for having shaky handwriting, he smiled at her and he left. Casey opened his note, and this is what it said. I wanted to kill myself today. Because of you, I now do not. Thank you, you beautiful person. Oh. Ah. Oh, my. When was the last time you heard any news out of Mexico that wasn't about migrants, drugs, or crime? How about this? Between 2020 and 2022, the number of people living in poverty in Mexico declined by $8.9 and average household incomes increased by 11% thanks to a new national minimum wage and the addition of social programs. That's amazing. There's always another side to the story. And to share some humor with you, um, some... (laughs) Very humorous classified ads I'm going to share with you. This one says, for sale by owner. Complete set of Encyclopedia Britannica. 45 volumes. Excellent condition. $1,000 your best offer. No longer needed. Got married last weekend. Wife knows everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the
0: last one. This is one you almost have to see to appreciate, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. It shows two photographs, one with an adorable kitten, side by side, and then one with a good-looking guy. And at the top is a caption that says, free to a good home. Underneath the kitten it says, beautiful six-month-old male kitten, orange and caramel tabby, playful, friendly, very affectionate, ideal for family with kids. Or, an arrow, you can have that for free, or you can have a handsome 32-year-old husband, personable, funny, good job but doesn't like cats. Says he goes, or the cat goes. (laughs) Call Jennifer. Come see both and decide which you'd like. (laughs) Oh, people can be so delightful. Well, I have a quote to leave you with tonight. Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. So for those of you who want to have dreams, to materialize your dreams, you have ambitions It's difficult. Remember what Nelson Mandela said. Always seems impossible until it's done. And that's the way it is. (laughs) From my heart to each one of you, Uh everybody, have a beautiful week. And tonight's show is going to be an important one. I'll be happy to hear it when I get the chance. Tomorrow I get to tune in, and I'm going to listen to the recording because I have to go now. But uh, this is one I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss any of them, but this is
1: one that's... I really want to hear tonight's show. So, Special, Anyway, yeah.
0: I love all of you.
1: Thank you, Arielle, very much. Uh, it's
0: fun to be with you. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much for the news. And uh, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Sure. Good night. Okay. Good night. So we have tonight um, Lavendar's Atlantis material. And here is Lavendar. This
2: is Lavendar bringing you Atlantis material from the vault. This is June 20th, 1983, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Subject, Atlantis material. The Atlantis material was given to me in November and December of 1980 while I was on the island of Aruba. This was conveyed by telethought communication sent by extraterrestrials residing on a spacecraft within the atmosphere of our planet of Earth, yet manifesting in another dimension. This information was transferred in pictures, words, concepts, and projections, and was received, taped, typed, and put away for safekeeping until the information could be used as educational tools for the upliftment of the consciousness of the people on the planet. After receiving this material, I couldn't help but wonder If I was indeed a part of a galactic project which would have long-term effects, or did I have an overworked imagination which was stimulated by some genetic chromosome within my brain? Was this for real, me conversing with beings on a spacecraft, or had I created this whole thing on some level of mind? From the middle of November to the middle of December, I was awakened every morning at 5 a.m., and was activated into reciting out loud the happenings of a civilization which was destroyed over 12,000 years ago by the mad scientist of that time. Each morning I would view the story of Atlantis through the eyes of the one that I would learn to call the scribe. He would be sitting in his study on this ship floating in the water where he was writing the events that had taken place since his arrival on the planet. He also would record the history of all creation and the laws that would govern these manifestations of creation. First I would look over his shoulder to see what he was writing for the day, and then I would talk out loud into a tape recorder describing what I was perceiving of the time that was that part of history of Atlantis, the lost continent. Thurman Myers, my traveling companion and my best friend, Help me by transcribing the tapes at the end of each day's session. The sessions lasted until around 10 a.m. I would then shower and drink some grape juice for my blood sugar would be extremely low after each session. By noon, I'd go to the kitchen and cook up a storm fixing a fancy lunch. We would then go to the beach to relax on the sand while trying to hold on to whatever sanity we had left. I wondered if I was the only person in the world who was being shown this information and material about Atlantis, and was this for real? Had I also been there? Could I have made this up? These things I questioned every day. When the last day of information was relayed to me, I was coming very close to an emotional flip out. I had seen and experienced so much in such a short period of time that I could hardly hold on to the trees as the wind almost blew me off the world. I tried to rationalize some logical manner of how this material should be handled. And it would be great, then people could see what actually had happened to the lost continent of Atlantis. They could profit from the mistakes of ancient misuse of power. Then I thought about putting material into book form. Would I make it fiction or nonfiction? Well, truth is truth. But how was I ever going to bring this information to the attention of people who could hardly comprehend things beyond their limited points of view and politics and religion are the now moment? I pondered over this material for several months, then finally decided to put it to rest until I was given clear instructions on what to do with it. I had no idea that others whom I had not yet met would also be connected with this material in the years that followed. Thurman and I decided to make copies of this information and after doing so, placed them in a safe place. I'm going to relate now some of the things which happened that correlate with the Atlantis material. In the story, the scribe had a male servant by the name of Clapus. He was a very loyal subject and owed his life to the scribe. On December 7, 1980, I saw a segment pertaining to Clapus. He would bring to the scribe a crystal staff about three feet long, placing on it a red cloth. The scribe would use this for balancing procedures and would use it often to counteract the energies coming from the city created by the mad scientist. At the end of that day's session, I was shown that Clapus was now incarnated into the body of one we know as Jerry Levine, a friend of ours from Reserve, New Mexico. I wondered how Jerry would react when I told him of his other life as Claypus, a male servant. On December 22, 1980, we arrived in, in Reserve, New Mexico with another friend of ours, Gina Billado. I informed Jerry of a tape that I wanted him to hear. I tried to prepare him and told him to secure himself by having a beer. He told, me that, he told me that first he wanted to show me something which he had painted on a scroll. Then he pulled out this long piece of paper and it was drawn a red cloth with a crystal staff and the scroll, it was dated December 7th, 1980, the same date as the information that I received about Kleypas. I was speechless. Here was my first confirmation that the Atlantis material was real, something beyond a coincidence. I was the one who needed the beer. I played the tape for him of the session about Clapus. He seemed pleased, but restless with the information. He didn't know quite how to take all of this, and it took him several months to really absorb what had happened to him. Neither of us talked about it again until later the next year. It just seemed, well, just too much of a coincidence. At that point in time, I didn't really want to consider anything else. Now to go to another date, still the same story. One of the reasons that Atlantis was destroyed was because of the misuse of power in many areas but the use of vibrational music contributed heavily to the final decision to wipe Atlantis off the face of the earth and wiped it was. For thousands of years it has remained buried under the Atlantic Ocean with very little physical evidence surfacing to acknowledge the possibility that such a continent even existed. How could such an advanced race of people destroy themselves What was the contributing factor behind the scrubbing of an entire species? What cosmic laws were broken? And who were the souls that lived then? Are they back now? These are some of the questions that we would like those reading this to ask themselves. If you have lived at that period of time, then what was your contribution to this action? That should raise the hair on the back of your necks, for almost all of you have been connected to Atlantis in one form or another. If not directly, then indirectly through others that you have known and loved on this planet. No one ever really escapes the memories of Atlantis. In the last days of Atlantis, a group of scientists got together and decided that the people should be controlled by vibrational music. A device was engineered to wear on the head. It consisted of quartz crystal, ruby, gold, silver, and copper. Everyone was to wear this device, and if they didn't, then punishment would ensue. It was the theory of the High Council of Elders that Atlantis would become a more productive country, if energies could be controlled through orchestrating the people and certain music was designed to enhance the daily workers that kept all parts of the country in operation the people liked the music and looked forward to the new and visualization vibrational patterns they didn't mind this kind of control, not really they felt better and became model citizens and growth and advancement was visible so the practice of wearing the headsets became as normal as one wearing clothes. The masses just never thought that that headset that they were wearing every day would contribute to the downfall of one of the most advanced civilizations that your planet has ever known. Had they even suspected that it would be turned on them, maybe, just maybe, the story of Atlantis would have been different. When Poseidon became king, who in your present knowing, as John Fitzgerald Kennedy. The land of Atlantis was an outpost to some neighboring planets and many species came to visit Atlantis and its people. It was an experiment of sorts, yes. Just think of it as a huge experiment that got carried away with itself. Poseidon was Pleiadian in blood-cutting and ruled for a very long time. He was a gracious and kind king but ruled his people in such a way that they would have laid down their lives for him had he asked it. Later when he was Abraham Lincoln he asked it in the war between the North and the South and later when he was John Kennedy he asked it for Vietnam. He had many children and was dearly loved by all except one his oldest Arpheus Marcus who now is incarnated as Ronald Reagan president of the United States of America. When Poseidon died, Orifice Marcus took the throne and it was not his father's wish that he do so. But when Poseidon was poisoned with an extraterrestrial substance, then he had no say about the matter. This poisonous substance had far-reaching effects even after the death of the physical body. The soul experienced explosions of energy similar to magnetic storms of the sun. There is no other way to describe this. Now more detail about the building and the music in Atlantis. The buildings had music coming from the walls. As a person walked on quartz cobbled street, the music in the headset would be stimulated by the energies of the quartz and the streets there was a substance similar to mortar between the quartz stones that would keep the people from getting tired and also help further the coding of the music people's dispositions and attitudes were all controlled by vibrational conditioning through music color and subliminal brain control as long as the people were peaceful and happy everything seemed to be going just fine when Orpheus Marcus took over he commissioned some scientists to further their experimentation and through his lack of discernment and love of power he helped to destroy all of the good works of his father. Scientists discovered chemicals that would speed up a person's energy pattern and other chemicals that would slow them down and today scientists have come close to duplicating these drugs but not exactly. Orphys Marcus decided to change a few laws to suit himself, and declared that the law of horns should be abolished, along with women having any rights whatsoever. He also destroyed the marital system, and allowed a man to have more than one wife. He started to destroy within himself first all his spiritual knowledge and reasoning, and later extended those beliefs to his people. With control of their minds, bodies, and souls, he was able to program an entire race of people the way he wanted them to be later after several years he started changing the DNA and the RNA code of the people and helped to create monsters that were half human and half animal the things as they were called mutations started to happen with much regularity Celestial messengers came to warn him of his evil doings. They told him that if he did not reverse his era, that forces would be let loose that would destroy the entire country. This he did not believe, as he was totally consumed with his power, and was by this time a drug addict and could not be reasoned with at all. Another use for the headsets was of an educational value, People would go to various learning centers for their education. They would enter by using a punch card that would keep records of how many times they visited the learning center. When one would return, he would have to show the card because one could not go there too often. This would cause a mental breakdown if misused. One would simply lay back in a special chair that would align the body to different electromagnetic fields. The headset would be placed with a quartz crystal over the third eye. A disc would be placed in the headset and music, color and sounds would enhance the vibrational conditioning of the learning process. This kind of learning was fed at harmonic rates that caused very high levels of awareness to take place. What would take one year to learn in reading could be obtained in minutes at this very accelerated rate of comprehension. This is how the education of the people was conducted. After the session was over, the headset would be worn with certain music reaffirming everything that was beamed from the headset earlier. It was through this educational manner that discs were tempered with and the distortions were set in motion. People had given up their free will in order for a saner society to develop. Once the will was gone, They were nothing more than robots waiting for instruction or destruction. There were a few that had their wills and it was through them that a rebellion started. Some left and even went to other countries. Atlantis was an experiment that failed. The perfect society was in the end a disgusting, demonic, grotesque misuse of power all that had participated in this atrocity would have other lessons to learn eventually when the cosmic calendar returned they'd be placed together with the same leaders the same scientists but with a different script this is happening now as we speak to you this day of your counting in March of 1981 Thurman and I ventured to Egypt on a tour called Atlantis Rising. We thought it was only appropriate that we should be on this trip so properly named. However, I hardly think I will go again. With 250 metaphysicians, it was insanity from the beginning. Thurman and I seemed to have a protective shield around us, which made us invisible most of the time. It wasn't until President Reagan was shot on March 29th that we seemed to become visible. That morning in Ajwan, people would come up to me and ask, where had we been? I told them that we'd been sitting at their tables, on their buses, on their tours. They were stunned because they had never seen us until that day, so they said. I didn't know how to explain it, but now it seems obvious we were being protected from so many various frequencies from among the people. In the Atlantis material, I was shown that the king who had changed the laws and and threw out the law of one, was the one and same sole essence of Ronald Reagan. He had allowed the mad scientist to corrupt the land and children and had sanctioned cruel experiments on half animal and half human beings. He was in power when the great crystal was misused, causing it to explode, bringing about crazy weather and earthquakes which soon made the entire continent disappear. I remembered vividly how Ronald Reagan had won by landslide on November 4, 1980 over President Jimmy Carter. How stunned people were by the outcome. Some were shocked that a B-grade actor could bring himself to be President of the United States. I recall thinking as I watched the election return in Las Vegas, Nevada how millions of people were giving this man their votes and they probably didn't even know why. I can still feel the chills that went through me when he made his acceptance speech and will never forget the looks on the faces of Jimmy and Rosalind Cotter as though they had just seen Armageddon. I left Las Vegas the next day on November 9th and adjourned to Aruba. I wasn't aware of any presidential activities leading up to the inauguration. We had a television but everything was in Spanish. I didn't think of Ronald Reagan until near the end of the Atlantis material when I was shown that he was the presiding king when Atlantis sank. Then I was in shock. What was this man doing as the leader of our country? Had he changed since Atlantis? Was he still the same power-hungry man who had caused millions to vanish overnight in, a, in the most catastrophic happening in the history of the planet? What were his motives now? And whose side was he on? And why tell me? I'm just a little farm girl from southwest Oklahoma. In the Atlantis material I was shown in the King's speech to the people, he proclaimed himself to be ruler of all men. I saw his coronation in every detail, His crowning was the celebration of all celebrations. It was performed in a large amphitheater in the round. Circus acts, entertainers like Siegfried and Roy, and Margaret and others, who are in the spotlight of today, were among the same performers of that day as well. There has never been anything, even in Las Vegas, to compare to the gala happening of the coronation of the new king. I saw a woman in her late twenties standing outside the festivities with tears in her eyes. I watched her go to her house where her three children awaited their dinner. These were the new king's children, but he was not allowed to claim them because they were not of royal bloodline. In his hour of glory, the woman and children who loved him would be left behind and cast aside because of the rules of the land. I heard her praying before her children at the dinner table. O oh, infinite is, bless him this day of his crowning. Please, dear God, some way, some day, please bring him back to me. This humble woman today is Nancy Reagan, and the children, the same children, as as are his today. The new king had one very good friend who was a singer and an actor in the theater. As a special surprise for his coronation, the scientist had developed and placed in his friend a mechanical voice box which made his voice so beautiful and with vocal range so precise that the sounds could activate the sexual glands of all the women who would hear his voice. That friend was the sole essence of the one that we now call Frank Sinatra. Women swooned, falling at his feet in those days even as in, in, the, in those days, like today. As you remember back in the 40s, a skinny kid from New Jersey had women falling all over themselves. There was no logic. They all acted as though they were experiencing the effects of some aphrodisiac. Was this soul memory? Had some of them lived in Atlantis? Could all of this be happening again? On December 11th, as I arrived at the Miami airport, I picked up a newspaper. I hadn't seen one for a month. The first thing that met my eyes was the picture of Ronald Reagan with his arm around Frank Sinatra and the caption read, Sinatra, inaugural chairman. Almost fainted. Thurman propped me up because he knew what I was experiencing, a realization only he could share at that time. We both looked at each other and was unable to really say a word slowly I walked to my next plane with my heart in my throat as Thurman was catching a different plane we parted with the realization that it was not an accident that Sinatra was to be the inaugural chairman in charge of all the festivities for the president was history repeating itself were these two back again in their famous duo so many questions were bombarding my mind as I boarded my plane for Denver answers are you kidding how was I ever going to convince anyone of the things I knew, and what I was thinking? The whole prospect made me nervous, and as a consequence, I ordered a double martini, and promptly fell into a deep sleep from the remainder of the flight. To this day, Thurman has never revealed to me how he felt, but I think I had felt enough for both of us. I didn't see the inauguration, but I heard that it was one of the most classy acts to hit Washington in a long time. I tried not to think too much of Ronald Reagan and Frank Sinatra in regard to the Atlantis material. They were a part of it, but were not the main characters of the story. In fact, they were just bit players in the whole scenario. Well, back to Cairo. We were getting off the train in Cairo from Najwan When we received the news of the assassination attempt upon the president, I began flashing like a neon sign. It's useless trying to put on paper all the thoughts and feelings upon hearing the news. Here we were in the Middle East. And where was my passport? Were the natives going to remain friendly? My strongest thought was that I must get to the hotel and into a tub of water, which I did as soon as possible. While in the tub, I heard again from the guides who had brought the Atlantis material to me, They told me to go and find Mahmoud, the keeper of the pyramids, and ask if we could secure it alone so that we could pray for our president. Also, I was told to locate ten others and take them inside the Great Pyramid of Giza and allow each one to hold a crystal. Once inside, I was to await further instructions. As I walked from the bathroom, I seemed to be floating on another type of energy, something that wasn't my own. My brain sped up, and my vision was so accurate that I was seeing through the walls. Upon seeing and hearing me, Thurman knew what had to be done, and he called ten people on the phone with instructions to meet us at the entrance to the pyramid. Upon our arrival, Mahmoud closed the tour to all other tickets. Of course, many on tour who had purchased tickets were very upset, and a busload of French and German people both cussed us and made nasty gestures i could see and feel the hate coming from their eyes and felt their lack of understanding of what we were about to do an egyptian girl appeared saying that she had been asked to come to the pyramid to pray for our president i had never seen her before but i felt she had been sent for a reason two more from our group made their appearance and once inside we found three more already awaiting us which made a total of eighteen and that's exactly how many crystals i had I had to bring to his presence to hold. These particular crystals have been given to me in a mysterious manner which I shall not reveal at this time. I was the mediator of the group and led them in chants and mantras. We sent our energies out with the help of the energies of the pyramid through the crystals to President Reagan to bring healing and strength to his physical mental spiritual and psychic body. We had also been told that his press secretary Jim Brady had died. So we conducted a ritual for his soul to go through Bardo peacefully. Upon our return to the United States we learned that at that exact moment we were conducting the service for Jim Brady. He had experienced a miraculous recovery which mystified the medical doctors. It was agreed medically that he had been declared dead, but had been brought back to life. Actually, they were correct, for the conscious energies which were at work operated under the assumption that he had crossed over into the Bardo state. When you help someone through Bardo, you have to take their spirit to the next stage of evolution, through peace and harmony. After that energy had been directed to the United States, several people laid down in the sarcophagus and accepted a healing. That day in the pyramid was of special significance to all of us. Although I had asked that all the crystals be returned to me after the service, two of those present did not return them and I don't know what has happened to the crystals or to the people. Did we interfere in the matters of God? Were we playing God? What were the powers of that great pyramid and what powers of energy were in those crystals? Who were these beings conducting the healing exercise? And if it's true that Ronald Reagan was the king of Atlantis when it went down, then why was it important that we help to save him? Was he now the good king, making restitution for past mistakes? Did his soul need to balance the karmic debt to millions of people from Atlantis? Were we helping to establish a new galactic walk-in energy, which would help the president to bring about the balance needed? These things I've asked myself a hundred times since that day. All of this wasn't exactly a confirmation of the Atlantis material. It wasn't provable, as with Jerry Levine. But still, it hit home as a contributing factor, helping to bring forth this truth about the Atlantis material, because you know when the truth hits you, you just seem to know it. One week before the healing session in the Pyramid for the President, I had experienced another segment of the Atlantis material while I was lying in the sarcophagus where I was shown the final chapter from the scribe. The dark forces, Belial's, had infiltrated the light forces and had found a way to help eliminate some of the twelve who had been brought to the planet. As I was awaiting the scene to begin, I became aware of the presence of a very strong cobalt blue light which seemed to pervade the king's chamber. I knew then that that was what was about to happen, was to see the most important segment, the final chapter of this incredible story. The beginning scene showed Clapus, the scribe's servant, walking next to the crystal cylinder which contained the body of the scribe. This surprised me and brought tears to my eyes. Clapus was holding a copy of the records, which the scribe had written and already placed in four other places around the world. I didn't consciously know that there were other copies of his writings, although it would stand to reason that there should be a backup system for future discovery. Clapus carried the records in a box, so I couldn't really see how the information was conveyed. Later my impression was that it was coated in quartz crystal such as maybe a crystal skull. The Atlanteans were very advanced in all technology and would know how to secure delicate information in a protective way to prevent misuse of the information. Once those who had the proper attunement and blood coating of remembrance would be able to tap these records at the proper time. Safeguards were placed over every set of records, for the balance of the planet was at stake. Never again would this valuable information be used by the dark forces. This is the reason for protective energies, 24 hours a day of Earth time, which is placed over this information, and all the places where they are. Klaipas left Atlantis with a copy of the records. I watched him as he finally took them to someone in France. I wasn't shown who at that time, but I was shown that it eventually came into the hands of Nostradamus, the famous seer of France in the 16th century. Later it was revealed to me that Merlin also had it in his possession, and he showed it to King Arthur, who in turn entrusted it to Sir Lancelot to be taken to the next destination. Nostradamus had previously been been one of the original twelve, and so was Merlin. It was planned that the record only be in the hands of one of the Twelve, or the energies of the bloodline of the Twelve. This was done for safety of information. Nostradamus used these records as a guideline for his quatrains, for which he later became famous. In these records were the ancestral bloodlines of how the programming would take place concerning the transmutation process of eliminating the laggard blood off the planet. This process would take thousands of years, for it all had to come about through the cosmic laws and would only work through a computerized time capsule to be released by cosmic planetary energies which had been set in motion and were irreversible. Nostradamus passed it on to others who would have the proper blood coating and now it is somewhere in France guarded day and night by a swarm of white doves. Although I was given the place, I will not disclose it in this writing. You know, later it was revealed to me that I had a a relative whose name was Ed Criswell of Criswell Predicts. And he always said he was the incarnation of Nostradamus. You know, it was Chris who helped threw me into the world to do psychic work and investigation, which brought me to this information about the records of Atlantis. Chris died on October 3, 1982, the same day that Mukananda died. I visualized them leaving the planet hand in hand to further help to organize the next assignment, dealing with the balance of the planet. In Chris's last year, he became an alcoholic, but after learning what information he carried in his blood and soul, it is quite understandable. For a time, I was judgmental with regard to his behavior, but you know what? Not anymore. The information contained in those records is so mind-expanding that it is very hard to maintain Earth sanity and still keep an Earth balance. As I write this, I can feel Chris's presence and can still see his clear blue eyes as though they were on this written page. Suddenly, a fire alarm has sounded in the building across the street. I am smiling and thinking of Chris making one of his dramatic entrances and exits like a showman. Several months after returning from Egypt, I made a trip to reserve New Mexico to see Jerry Levine, alias Gleipus, to tell him of the final chapter of the scribe. While talking to him, I noticed the color in his face changing drastically. When I finished telling him the story, he pulled out a piece of paper which had arrived from France. This paper now has been misplaced or has disappeared. It seems that his blood relatives in France had traced him to New Mexico and had offered him a piece of property in in France if he could pay back taxes on it. It was a name similar to the name of the place in which I had seen the records to be. I felt an explosion in my brain. I wanted to run out of the building screaming down the street, although I didn't. I surely wanted to. Instead, I calmly changed the subject and finished telling Jerry other interesting incidents of our trip if jerry was hit by what had just happened he didn't show it months later when i would bring up the subject nothing seemed to register for some reason it almost seemed he was not supposed to remember the connection i took it as a sign of safety of information was this all a coincidence is there such a thing who was setting this plan into motion was jerry to pay the taxes and claim his right to the records or was i to pay them for him why had Jerry's mind received and understood everything up to a point, and then went blank? Was some part of him protecting his sanity, or perhaps even the reckons themselves? These were all things that I had to consider, again. We didn't talk about this for another year. It was just all too much to think about, much less handled in an everyday existence. In fact, I chose to put the Atlantis material away, and not talk of it, or show it to even to my friends. In November of 1982, I was led to show the material to to actress Shirley MacLaine. There was some reason she was to know about this material. I remembered her saying, why are you showing me this? I told her that possibly something would take place later which would fit together with the Atlantis material. I didn't tell her that she was my backup system and now the information was also her responsibility. The timing was wrong and her energies just hadn't shown up yet for that. She handled the information in a very cool manner, I suppose because of her professionalism as an actress. I wanted to shake her and just say, listen, Shirley, if I don't get this job done, then you'll have to do it. Instead, I pouted and poured myself another brandy. Atlantis didn't seem to be in any other person's recall bank but mine at least not like I was experiencing but the timing wasn't right and as usual I was getting very impatient once again I put away the Atlantis material and turned my attention to other things then on May 3, 1983 Thurman and I went to North Carolina to see Andre Puarich and his wife Rebecca and their two children Andrea is a man of about 67 years and Rebecca is about 30. It was he who discovered and promoted Yuri Geller, the Israeli who has the great power of telekinesis, the power of bending metal. Andrea had spent a great deal of time, money, and energy showing the intellects of the world the extreme possibilities of universal laws and concepts. He had written a book about Yuri and his encounters with a spacecraft called Spectra. This book is of such great magnitude that a witch hunt was begun to try and stop Andrea from further writing and informing the people. This book has now been banned from public libraries in the United States. Furthermore, no publisher is allowed to print any of his material for fear of having the Internal Revenue Service audit their books for the next 20 years. He became such a threat to scientists, politicians, and the CIA that he has had to flee for his life to Mexico, where he and his family have lived for three and a half years. His exodus came when the CIA had his house burned along with his books. Not since the persecution of Nikolai Tesla or William Reich has the government so vehemently gone after the soul of a man dedicated to so much truth. Now he has returned to the United States and he's working on a cancer cure. I have admired his courage and desire to return to his country which has only persecuted him for his efforts. Why does the government fear this one man to such extremes? What does he know that can hurt it? Why not work with him instead of against him? I wish I understood more about how our government thinks and works. One day as we were sitting on the porch enjoying the countryside In visiting with these fine people, I decided to tell Andrea and Rebecca the story of the scribe and the Atlantis material. Just at the exact moment I had finished telling the story, the phone rang. Rebecca excused herself and went to answer the phone. Their phone is unlisted, and only a handful of people have it, and since we had arrived... The phone had not been working, and each time we tried to call town, a recording would tell us that the number we had dialed was no longer in working order. I just shrugged and thought it was another way in which we were being protected. Rebecca returned to tell us that some man had just called from that place in France. You know, the place that Jerry Levine had just been told that he needed to pay taxes. I wanted to know if Andrea had found the book of knowledge yet. He further said that Rebecca's mother had given him the phone number and he left Rebecca a number for Andrea to call. I had not been aware of Andrea's searching for the book of knowledge because I hadn't yet read his book and didn't know that Spectre had once told he and Yuri that they would find this book of knowledge. After relaying the message to us, We must have all looked like fried lightning bugs because our hair stood straight up on end. Rebecca pulled us all into the living room and showed us a map of France dated 1700. On the map was the name of that town, but it was spelled differently. As I looked at the map, a part of my brain started clicking and I began to get dizzy. Rebecca was talking, but I seemed to be in a fog and couldn't hear what she was saying later she repeated it for me her in-laws from previous marriage have a house in france and they give it to her uh, one month out of each year well that just about fixed me the whole thing was too much so i retreated to the kitchen to busy myself cooking chicken soup andrea had to go to bed thurman took a walk in the woods and rebecca started the laundry and doing her duties We all knew what was happening, but none of us was yet willing to talk about it. Only Rebecca mentioned it off and on for the next few days. Every time she did, I wanted to put my hand over her mouth. I just didn't want to hear it. I wanted to be finished with the Atlantis material. Who was going to believe it anyway? And then there was Andrea. He had not so much as ever wished that the book of knowledge would be within his grasp, for Yuri had not seen fit to help him even look for the book. His interests were in other things. I had been so excited upon so many different occasions that I I was afraid to be excited anymore. But here was Rebecca, newly activated to the material, and she was so excited about it. Further, we certainly didn't want someone telling us about more work to be done and this time it could be dangerous beyond belief if the government had done terrible things to andrea because of his book and beliefs then what in the hell were they gonna do to him now furthermore what were they gonna do to me i tried to tell my paranoia to sit down and shut up but facts are facts and i i couldn't ignore them for a moment i flashed upon living on the farm in southwest oklahoma driving a tractor was this what my daydreams from youth had brought me what would happen when the news leaked out that some little farm girl could have access to secrets and records of a continent that wasn't here anymore with very little evidence that it ever existed the whole scene was too much with my temper the temperament the way it is i just said screw it i don't want to play anymore however Things were happening in such a synchronized manner that I knew I was part of a gigantic plan and my not wanting to play didn't seem to matter to the forces who were setting this plan into motion. If I didn't play, they had someone else to start where I stopped. Either I shaped up an attitude or I shipped out. It was very mathematical. Simple. Subtract me, add someone else or let me play. I decided to play mainly because I had come so far whether sane or not and I wanted to see just how much further this information of the records would take me. I realized this would be dangerous but then what the hell? What was this book of knowledge? Would this information become public or would this be the secret of my life? And that is the end of the reading of the material from the vault. Back to you, Ariel.
1: Lavendar, thank you so much for sharing this material, and it's so timely now with the um, August Harmonic Convergence anniversary connecting us in frequency directly to Atlantis. So we will be back uh, two weeks from tonight, and until then, everyone, remember to hold gratitude in your heart and give compassion instead of judgment. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.